You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from Pastor Rhonda. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Well, I could almost call a line and we'll just lay hands on everybody and go home with just one of them nights, I tell you. I should buy, but I won't. Okay. Over the last several months, uh, whenever I've preached on Wednesday nights, we looked at the signs that tell us when we're in the last of the last days. And after months of study, I believe we've come to the conclusion that we are, in fact, in the very last of the last days based upon the signs outlined in the Scriptures. Would everyone agree with me? I wanted to be an attorney. I considered it for a short time. So have I made my case on Wednesday nights that we are in the last of the last days? Uh, And when the last days are completed, then what happens? The second coming of Christ, just like I talked about on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago. Uh, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I talked about it on a Sunday morning, that that is coming, and it's coming soon. He's coming for us. He's coming for us. He's coming for us. Glory to God. Woo! Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, have mercy. I've been watching the news. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Anyway, we're going to start tonight in Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace teaches us what? To deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think the Holy Ghost is so smart. He's woven together what Pastor Mark was doing on Sunday mornings with what I was doing on Wednesday nights. Uh, You know, he orchestrated it together. Pastor's series on Hope Lives has fit right into what I was teaching for months. We're looking for that blessed hope, that blessed hope, the hope that anchors our soul, which is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. That should anchor your soul. What can the devil do to us and who cares? You know, the very worst thing he could do is is, is give us a shove to the pearly gates. Not that I'm ready to go, not that I want to go. You understand, but but that should give us uh, uh, hope and confidence. You know, we can trust him. We can trust him. He is coming soon. 2 Peter 3.1. 2 Peter 3.1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, this is Peter obviously writing this letter, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, everything's in the King James, yeah, they figured it out, okay, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. How many of you know every time somebody preaches on the coming of Christ, there's always those who say, yeah, I heard that. I tell you, I've heard it since I was a little girl. But you know what? If we were close then, how much closer are we now? How much closer are we now? He goes on to say that there would come scoffers saying that. He acknowledged they was going to be because he's patient. And because he's patient, to, he allows time to pass. Why? To allow people to get born again. Aren't you glad he waited till you got born again? Verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering. Oh, He's long-suffering to usward. He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. But how many of you know it's not his will that any perish? He's doing everything he can to keep one person from going to hell. If he's trying that hard, we ought to help him. We ought to help him. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Shall be, therein shall be burned up. All right. Uh, how many of you know when he comes for us, that's not the time this is all going to burn up? He's talking about him coming back for us, but he's also talking about when he comes again at the end of the age. All right? So it doesn't matter. This earth is going to burn up. We know that because the scripture clearly says so, but we ain't going to be here. We're going to be with him. All right? If you're born again, you're going to be with him. All right, let's move on. Uh, looking, uh, let me see. Ah, shall out with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now listen, that word conversation is a word that's changed meaning since the 1611 King James Version was written. How many of you know words change meaning? Around 1900, gay meant happy. How many of you know if I say we should all be gay or how many of you know it has a different meaning today? Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can see how words change meaning over time. Uh, and so that word conversation actually means manner of life. 
so seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy manner of life and godliness? Listen, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. That house we worked so hard for, the car we wanted so bad, the, you know, the clothes, the, it's all going to burn. Lift up your eyes. What's truly important? God doesn't mind you having nice things. He just doesn't want the nice things to have you. He doesn't want your sole attention, your whole focus to be on that because there's more important things that are going on. This, this world is wrapping up. This world is wrapping up. There's things we need to be about, things we need to be doing. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to start talking about that tonight. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, verse 11, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy manner of life and godliness? looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless." An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. How many of you know some of these things are hard to be understood? I'm going to break it down for you here. He's coming soon. He's going to take us away. We're going to live with him. And eventually everything that's left is going to burn up. All right? That's all you've got to know. Okay. And that being true, how then should we be living? An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do all the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Don't get caught up in them saying, where is his coming? Oh, sure, I've heard that before. We can just go on and live however we want because things have gone on this way just like they always have from eons past. Don't get caught up in their nonsense. He said, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. One of the reasons the Lord gave us the signs of the times in the Scripture is so that we would know what season we're in. And once we know, we can act in accordance with the behavior appropriate for the season we're in. We have to recognize our season. Recognize that we're in the last of the last days so that we now know how to act in this season that we've come into. And we can see examples in the Bible of people who missed their season. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss my season. If this is the season of double jubilee, 
if this is the season of the outpouring of the supernatural of God, if this is the season where he's going to use us in miraculous, divine ways, I don't want to miss it. Luke 19.41, all King James unless I tell you different. Luke 19.41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it. Talking about Jesus. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and come compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Listen, Jesus came. The promised Messiah came and because they, they were religious and, and caught up in their own stuff, they, they missed their day of visitation. And because they missed their day of visitation, it cost them. Jerusalem was destroyed when it didn't have to be because they missed their day of visitation. I tell you, I, I'm not missing nothing. I don't want to miss a thing God has for us. Uh, you shouldn't want to either. But we need to know what season we're in. We need to know where we are in history so that we can act appropriately. First Chronicles 12.32 in the Amplified. First Chronicles 12.32. And of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen were under their command. My point in that scripture is the men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And we need that too. What time are we in? We're in the time leading up to the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming soon. That's the time we're in. And because of that, how should we then act? Romans 13, 11, King James. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed, than when we believed. How many of you know our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed? Every day that passes, we're another day closer to the second return of Christ. He says in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, when I was studying on these the last days, one of the things that I found so interesting is that often it, when he talks about the last days, there's also with it an admonition for us to cast off sin, to cast off uh, the spirit of this world, and to live holy and righteously and upright in this world. I didn't expect that. So listen, it would only be natural that I would say that to you. 
Because it's almost in every scripture where it talks about the second coming of Christ. You know what? He needs us. He needs us to be in position to be used. He needs us to be in position for his spirit to flow through us to other people. And in order for that to happen, we have to lift up our eyes from the day-to-day stuff going around and focus them where they need to be focused. And we need to live upright, godly lives so that we're ready no matter what he asks us to do. What would it be worth to you to lay hands on a crippled child? See their body instantly made whole by the power of God. If you knew what was ahead, you'd shake off some stuff. If you knew what was ahead, you'd shake off some stuff. We got to be ready. Now listen, nobody's perfect. God's not looking for perfect humanity, perfect flesh to use. Listen, if God only used perfect people, we'd just shut this sucker down and we'd all go home. Watch TV. Because if he's opposed to using imperfect human flesh, he has a terrible system because that's all there is. But my point is, if we can become aware of what time we're in, we need to more and more live like he lived, do like he wants us to, live holy and righteously so that we're ready no matter what he calls on us to do. The time for playing footsie with the devil under the table and thinking I got all the time in the world, I'm young. I don't know that you do. Be careful. Be careful. Don't be a scoffer walking after your own lust. All of this is going to wrap up, and given that knowledge, how should we then act? Romans 13, 11. Oh, I just read all that. Oh, dear, sorry, I lost my place. Put on the Lord Jesus, it says, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Verse 13 of that, Romans 13, 13, tells us what not to do. He said, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. And verse 14 tells us what to do instead. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How many of you know? In the NIV, let's look at the NIV. It uses more modern language. He said, let us behave decently as in the daytime. Romans 13, 13, NIV. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but verse 14, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. How many of you know he made you righteous? He's already made you righteous. If you're born again, it's who you truly are. So he said, put that on. You put on who you truly are. You put it on like you put on your clothes today. You put on that righteousness. You accept that that's who you really are. Not because of your behavior, but because he made you righteous. 
He knew we couldn't be perfect, so he declared us righteous. He cleaned us up. He gave us the power then to walk it out in our everyday lives. Lord, Pastor Rhonda, I wish you'd move on. I heard a preacher on TV the other day say, you know, how long has it been since you heard a sermon on sin? Well, y'all wouldn't have to count very long, would you? But how many of you know it's because we need to be ready? We need to be free. God wants us footloose and fancy free. So if he says do this, we can do it and not have to spend weeks repenting. And Skipping down a few verses, 2 Peter 3, 17. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, Beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Don't let the world trip you up. Don't fall from what you know to be true. Verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Listen. I watched a lot of football this last weekend, not because I wanted to. But how many of you know when somebody's got the ball and they're running for the end zone, what does the other team do? Well, you just go. Look at him run. Is that what they're doing? No, they are running for all their worth, trying to trip you up, trying to drape themselves around your ankles so that you can't get in the end zone, so that you can't do what you need to do. They throw their bodies. I've seen them do crazy stuff, man. Throw their body into you. Throw themselves on the ground in front of you, hoping you'll trip over them. I mean, they're doing everything they can. How many of you know that's what the devil is doing in this last hour? He knows you got to football, and I'm getting ahead of myself. But he knows you got to football, and he knows you're come closing in on that end zone. Don't you let him trip you up. Don't you let him stop you. Listen, he's going to try to grab your feet. He's going to try to stick his leg out and trip you. He's going to drape himself around your body and try to convince you not to go there. But you got to resist that. Second Peter 3.11, seeing King James, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy manner of life and godliness? Everything is going to be destroyed. So how should we live? How should we live? Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That grace teaches us what? Verse 12. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we grow in grace, that grace will teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and it teaches us to live soberly, righteously, 
righteously and godly in this present world while we are looking for our blessed hope, the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, our job right now is to get full of God, to get full of His grace, to learn to say no to your flesh, to the temptations of the enemy. But if you miss it, if you sin, and we all will at one point or another, he gave us 1 John 1, 9 for that very reason. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if we go to him when we sin, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, don't run from him, run to him. Run to him. See how fast you can get it under the blood. See how fast you can put it behind you. Just like those football players, they jump up, they dust themselves off, and they go back to the huddle for the next play. There is nobody in the stands or on the field who's going to say to them, listen, you got tackled. You fell. You're off the team. You can't do this anymore. Now listen, if they didn't get up, how many of you know they'd send out the little people to haul them off the field? So if you sin, I was trying to think what they're called. I can't remember, but it's okay. Little people, you got me. If you sin, don't just lay there. Don't just quit the game and lay there. Get up. Get back in the huddle. Repent. Dust yourself off and ask for the next play. Dust yourself off. Get up first. Dust yourself off. Get back in the huddle. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Know it's covered. Get back in the huddle and ask for the next play. Do you know how scary that'll make you to the devil? What is his name? Tua Taglia Lova 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 Lava Lou Lear. You know, quarterback for Alabama. How many times do you think that guy's been on his backside every game? You know what makes him afraid? Every time he gets back up. Because he's coming back at him. You don't want to get in trouble if you stay there. James 1.13. Repentance implies that you turn from your sin and go the other direction. It may take you a little while, though, to retrain your flesh, especially if it's used to being in charge. How many of you know when you get born again, your flesh is used to being in charge? It's used to getting its own way. The Bible says the unborn again people, they live by their, their minds and their emotions and uh, what their mind can dream up, what their emotions need, and what their body desires. Well, when you, the real man on the inside, gets born again, your flesh doesn't just come in line. No, you got to train it. It's like an unruly dog. 
down boy, down girl. It's not how we're acting. You got to train it. It's not going to like it because it's used to being in charge. But you can retrain it. James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Listen, sin unchecked and consciously allowed to remain will cost us. Sin unchecked and consciously allowed to remain will cost you. So when you're tempted, run to God. Don't run away from him. It, it always, some people, when they mess up, when they sin, when they struggle, they, they get out of church and they stay out of church because they're embarrassed or they're, you know, they're, they're ashamed of what they're struggling with. But you know what? You need to run to God. That's the time you need to run to church, which is full of people who love you and they'll help you and they'll help you get back up on your feet and they'll help you keep running and go on. But run to God. He's got grace for you. Hebrews 4.16, King James. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. We can obtain mercy at the throne of grace. If you need it, he'll extend it. But that's not all there is available up there. There's grace to help in our time of need. Father, I'm really being tempted I need you. Holy Spirit, help me. Father, on purpose, I access grace right now. I access your grace to help me get through this temptation. Oh, I have it pulled up somewhere in my phone. I don't trust my phone. There's a, those 12-step programs. How many of you know some of those 12-step programs tapped into things? that believers need to tap into. I don't have a good enough signal in here, I don't think, to bring it up. But, but one of the things they do is, is they say, uh, you know, admit you're struggling or admit you're powerless against your addiction. And call upon your higher power, whoever that might be. It used to say God until people got all their clothes in and not... Call upon your higher power to help you. How many of you know they've tapped into grace? They've tapped into a godly principle. If you call upon the right God, there's grace to help you not to sin. There's grace there that'll help you not to sin. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not only to get mercy and forgiveness when we need it, but grace to help us not to sin. And he said, come boldly. He didn't say, hang your head and slink in. 
Father. <sighs> no, he said, come boldly. Come boldly. Get your forgiveness and get the grace not to do it again. Dust yourself off. Get back in the game and ask for the next play. Mercy forgives us. Grace gives us power not to keep doing it. Did you hear me? Mercy forgives our sin. But grace gives us the power not to keep doing it. When you're tempted, cry out to God. Not just for mercy, but for grace too, which can help you not to sin. Listen, when you first get born again, your flesh is used to being in charge. Right? So for a while, you, you may uh, go out and sin. Come back into the presence of God. Forgive me, Father. Go out and sin again. Come back in. Forgive me, Father. Go out and sin again. Come back in. But how many of you know if we'll learn to tap into grace, we're going to cut that cycle off. And eventually we're just going to keep going this way. But you're going to have to convince your flesh who's in charge. You're going to have to make a quality decision. I am not going to do that again. I'm not. I'm not. Listen, I overcame some things in my life by, by saying to myself, I would rather die. I'd rather die than do that again. How many of you know that kind of ferocity will carry you over? Where the wishy-washiness of, you know, I really shouldn't, but, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm going to try not to. Now, you mess around, the devil's going to take you out. He's not playing. He's not just here to gratify your flesh. The point of gratifying your flesh is to lead you further down the road to destruction where he can take you out. If you access more of the grace of God while you're tempted, while you're being tempted, you'll need less of the mercy of God to clean you up because you'll avoid the sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? Call to him. Ask him for help in the moment when you're being tempted. The time is short. We're in the last of the last days. And knowing this, we should make it our aim to access the grace of God daily, to obtain the power we need to live upright, godly lives as the day of his return is approaching. Everywhere you read about the second coming of Christ, there's an admonition to live the way I'm talking to you tonight, to live upright and godly. Study it out. Listen. The Lord chose us to live in these, the very last of the last days. In some ways, it's like a relay race. How many of you know, from, from the time Jesus came, the gun went off. And the disciples began to run with what was entrusted to them by our Lord Jesus Christ. And they passed it off to their disciples. They passed off, they ran their race they passed off their truth, and, they, and they, they passed it off to the generation that came after them. Are you listening to me? 
They ran their race and they taught those coming after so that at the end of their life they could turn and hand off the reins to the next generation whom they poured their life into, whom they've raised up. It's been going that way every generation until now. And they hand me that thing. After my spiritual father, Brother Hagen, went home to be with the Lord. We were at Ramah, and they did a whole sermon on the Batonist past. And then they had us line up, and they handed off batons, and this isn't it. I'm doing something. I'm about to display it somewhere, and it's not available for me to bring tonight my baton that I got that night. But this is just an example so what happens is the generation, they teach those around them, and when they come to the end of their race, then they turn around and they hand off the baton to those running after them. And that group, then they run as fast as they can, as hard as they can. How many of you have ever seen a relay in, in like a high school or college or, or the Olympics? That's where probably most of us saw it. The first guy does what? The gun goes off and he runs as hard as he can. And when he's done, he, he runs up to the next guy and hands it off. And that guy takes off running. And, and he comes around and he runs as hard and as fast as he can run. And then he comes back to where he started and he hands it off to the next guy. Well, how many of you know the baton has been passed? This is our generation. This is our generation. We are responsible for this generation of souls right here in the United States and around the world. The baton has been passed to us. Now we need to get after it. I think by pairing the admonition to live uprightly with the scriptures about the second coming of the Lord. I think he was telling us that he needs us, perhaps the last runners in the history of the world, not to let sin get a hold of us and entangle us where we cannot effectively run our race. If it was ever critical for any generation, it's critical for us now in this time to live sin-free and free of the entanglements of the flesh so that we can run our race and finish our course and bring the victory home. It's been passed to us. It's been passed to us. And now it's time for us to run. You know, I had the unfortunate misery, which I shouldn't have said that. That'll pinpoint what team I was rooting for. To watch that game where one coach fought for one second to be put back on the clock. And then they kicked a field goal. And the other team was in the end zone where they caught the field goal. And ran it all the way back 100 yards plus to get a touchdown. The whole time he was running, I was screaming to my husband, is that legal? Is that legal? Is that legal? Is that legal? Can he do that? I have never seen such a thing in my life. And unfortunately, I've been subjected to football all my life. But how many of you know, because they were offensive guys who were blocking for the field goal kicker, they didn't have their fast guys out there. 
So they just left him in the dust, man. Ran that football all the way down. Spiked it in the end zone. And the championship game was over. I tell you, the time has come. The time has come. The devil thinks he has this generation. He thinks he has this nation. He's about to, not that I'm likening one football team to the devil. It's just an example. He thinks he's got this nation. He thinks he's got this generation coming up. I've been talking to the young adults in Ignite on Thursday night. Listen, that scripture, that, that uh, you know, time to wake up. The night is far past. Shake it off. Get up and let's get after this. Man, that struck a chord with me because I'm an old Keith Green fan. If you're under the age of 50, you probably don't know who Keith Green is. But he was a great singer, tremendous man of God in the 70s, and he died in a plane crash in the early 80s. But he was my hero, and he had a song called Asleep in the Light. And some of the lyrics of that song go, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to pick up the ball. It's time to pick up the baton and get after it. You run your race. And while you're running, you teach those who come behind you that God brings to you. You should have people influencing you and people you're influencing. There should be people who speak into your life and you should be speaking into others while you run your race. But it's time for us to get up and get after it and run with all of our hearts for the goal line that's set ahead of us. And if the enemy manages to trip us up, then you get up, you shake it off, you, you go and ask for forgiveness, then you get back in the huddle and ask for the next play. We have a race to run. This generation is not going to hell on my watch. This nation is not going to hell on my watch. We are one nation, one nation under God, one nation under God, indivisible, not dividable, not dividable, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It's time to run. It's time to run. It's time to run. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. I'm finishing up. Know ye not, they which run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery or to do well is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as, one, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Even the apostle Paul said, I have to keep my flesh under. But I'm going to run my race. I'm going to finish my course. 
Listen, God's got things for you to do. He's got people for you to touch. The baton is passed. The race is ours to run. Let's shake off the weights and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run the final leg well. Knowing that the grandstands of heaven are full of witnesses cheering us on. Every generation that went before that ran their race and passed the baton off to that next generation and it was passed off to the next generation and it was passed off to the next generation. Heaven's grandstands are full of those people looking over, watching our race and cheering us on. Listen, with all those people looking and cheering, what are we doing Let's get after it. Let's get after it. Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. got something to do for God. Let's get after it. You know, I was out last Wednesday night. I went with the children's workers up to a, a conference in Nashville. And one of the things we did on Tuesday night was we watched Chad and Deanna graduate from Kid Men Academy. They spent a year doing an online course to hone their skills on how to better teach the children, how to better disciple your children, how to better connect them with God and make them disciples of Christ. What are they doing? They're running their race, and they're also training the generation that's following them. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.